Biopatrika, your very own online science communication brings science closer to you in so many ways. Today, SciConnect by Biopatrika welcomes all science enthusiasts to expert engage with Dr. Narendra Chirmule. I, Vikram Gujar, with Charu Gupta and Shreyansh Tiwari have been given the honor to hear of a unique journey traversing academia and industry culminating in an eminent personality that we all aspire to be. Dr. Chirmule, a respected immunologist, has spent a 40-year-long career facilitating vaccine development and overseeing drug development in academia, as well as with his directorial time in clinical immunology departments of Biocon, Amgen, and Merck. As an entrepreneur, he co-founded Symphony Tech Biologics, a data analytics company, and currently serve as a CEO and director. On several disease importance advisory boards in India and USA, Narain Sir manages to find time to explore his love for Indian classical music too. We welcome this excellent scientist, writer, orator, and magnanimous personality, Dr. Narendra Chirmule Sir. Narain, we are guilty of stalking you on LinkedIn, and we already know quite a lot about you. However, we want a deeper insight into what is unsaid. So we want to know more about your journey and early experiences. Um, let's begin with a look in your early beginnings. So maybe up till uh, your master's, how did you get hooked onto science? Yeah, first, thank you. Thank you, Zaman. Thank you for, for the kind introduction, Vikram. And Charu and Shreyans, thank you for uh, having this session. Um, you know, uh, I think um, I'll, I'll try to give short answers so that maybe we can get through more questions. And if there are anything to elaborate, then we can elaborate. Um, and, and, you know, just to plug in uh, my book, which, which, you know, I've recently written, a lot of questions that I think I, that I think people ask me, the answers for them are in this book. So I'll give the short answers and you can read up a little bit more on the later part. So the yeah. short answer to the interest in science is my learnings that I've had over the years that it is the teacher in the school who influences what you work on. So mm -hmm. um, there were teachers, Dr. Gon, uh, Ajay Gon and Dr. Khan, who were really the chemistry and biology teachers who influenced, who I loved the way of teaching, right? And so that's how I got hooked into science. Later on, uh, Dr. Ashok Bhagwat in my college was a big influence to me on how biology is perceived. And over the years, you know, those mentors um, helped in understanding how, how to get into science. Uh, but also for my parents, both my parents uh, have been sort of in the sciences. My father was an engineer. Oh, my, my, my mother taught mathematics all her life in high school. Okay. And uh, so I've been influenced quite a bit on the science side of things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, you know, your early experiences that uh, kind of shape you um, into becoming uh, who you are. And it was really nice of you to mention your book because we do have some exciting questions about it later in the podcast. Um, okay. So like you carried your love for science throughout your career and you still have it today. You spent several years in academia. You have a PhD on leprosy vaccines, postdoctoral contribution to HPV shingles, rotavirus and HIV drug. I mean, wow. And uh, you also developed several vaccines, uh, much to pure acclaim. What was the one thing that you loved about academic research and the one thing you absolutely abhorred? Second question was what? Something you absolutely hated. I hated, what do you like? Yeah, yeah that's, see, that's, a good, that's a good way of 
<laughs> hate, is, hate is a strong word. <laughs> but let's see, let's see what I liked um, in academic research. I think what I liked in academic research is the constant curiosity that you have and the constant curiosity that everyone around you has. Mm. Uh, and it sort of feeds the academic environment, whether it's students in the college or university, whether they are professors, whether they are people visiting from outside, like places like UPenn that I was fortunate to be in, you know, used to have lectures from outside visitors all the time and they're presenting completely different things, right? So when I was at UPenn, um, you know, I used to go and listen to lectures on physics, on, um, on social sciences, because they're just available, you have access to them. So, so this curiosity uh, aspect of being in academia was very interesting for me yeah. in retrospect, you know, and it's not so acute <laughs> at that time. And I don't know why I was doing what I was doing at that time, but in retrospect, I was curious and I was trying to learn many different things and maybe uh-huh. connect the dots later on. Yeah. Um, what, what I liked about industry is the sort of almost regimented way of you of doing work. You know, you have goals, you have mm-hmm. quarterly reports, you have quarterly things that you have to complete. And, uh, you know, it, it's a very regimented way of doing things. So the organized way of doing things is what I liked about the industry. Uh, what I didn't like about academia, um, actually, though not much I didn't like about academia, other than the fact that academia, for, for whatever reason, pays less than industry. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. I mean, that, that is something that we absolutely... Um, hate that you know we don't get enough uh, we we don't get enough benefits for our contribution in a way like yeah, we, that, yeah. yeah but we don't put a value on the things that we get that's and true before, you know it only comes down to money <laughs> yeah but it's not really the money right it's, it's the satisfaction yeah. can be a contribution of many different things but we don't realize yeah. that we're getting much more than we bargain for yeah uh, i mean you and in industry, just to f- finish that circle, the thing that I didn't like, um, I guess, you know, I guess everybody goes through this and it is not specific to industry anywhere. It is the, uh, as you grow up in your career, the politics of how to work with people, you know, the politics, the interactions, the egos, the, um, you know, all the things that the, the human nature brings, um, you know, becomes very competitive and, you know, so that, that part is what I didn't like about industry, but you know, it, it was a very small part of the overall experience. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, I mean, of course, this was a sort of a bare all answer. And I feel like this uh, expressed a lot of our feelings as well. And it's nice to hear it from someone like you because it kind of just like, you know, inundates that yes, what we're feeling is also somewhere, uh, something that it, it, it gives a community kind of a feeling you know with uh, academics but what I have to definitely agree with you is that we have kind of a symbiotic relationship in mm. academia we get mm. we we sort of leech out passion from people or maybe mm. not leech out but if someone is passionate and excited then we get passionate and excited so it's it's mm. an electric environment throughout academia so mm. um, but would you say that uh, you said that industry is very regimental it's very goal-oriented is the passion still there? Yeah, you know, um, 
Passion is something that is um, has to be intrinsic, right? So you have to be, the company may go through ups and downs and everything, but your passion should be consistent. And, and, uh, and it's, it's nice to be nice to say, say that on paper, but, you know, uh, you go through ups and downs, you you know, you you have very high is going on. If you, ha you have some great accomplishment at work that's going on, mm -hmm. but you know, something not going on great in your life, you may not be healthy or you may, somebody yeah. in your family, something may be happening or your family, your yin and yang is always, it's never always balanced, right? Sometimes that is up. Sometimes this is up. And, and when whichever is down, you keep focusing on what is down and you don't worry and you don't think about what's up there. So we always gravitate towards, mm. you know, focusing on the negative things. So mm. somehow I've learned um, the processes of keeping on focusing on the positive things and not worrying about the negative things. Uh, that's, that's a very nice thought. And it's something that we should all live by, I think. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to be an optimist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the other thing that uh, from from your previous answer, um, since industry is so goal oriented, it's something, you know, that has to push and has to produce something, um, you know, like we have currently with the COVID-19 vaccines, you know, which like all of the industry had a goal. We need to get this done. Does that also give you opportunity to explore things like in academia, you attended physics lectures. And so does industry also promote um uh, cross uh, contamination in a way with other ideas or is it limiting no in fact i think um, it, it it depends on the individual sometimes uh, some people are interested in focusing deep into their career like if there's an analytical scientist who's learning let's say how to do mass spectrometry and, and a lot of mass spectrometry requires understand deep understanding of technology right Mm -hmm. And newer and newer mass spectrometry, mass spectrometers are coming out and, and, you know, ability to do more and more analysis. So when, when you have to dig deep, you mm -hmm. know, you, you do it at the expense of breadth because you only have so much time. But then um, some people like to do the breadth. Like I want to do analytical science. I also want to learn about marketing. I also want to learn about human resources. So, mm -hmm. so, so industries do provide opportunities to shift laterally when opportunities arise mm -hmm. it's not easy it's not easy but uh, definitely can be done and it has to be driven by the employee okay yeah um since i already touched on the covid19 aspect i have to ask you since you're a vaccine expert how do you feel about the current mrna based vaccines versus the traditional attenuated ones are is the efficacy the same? Well, I think the data suggests that the efficacy is quite remarkable. You know, they, uh, from a statistical perspective, mm -hmm. uh, both vaccines that have been approved in the US have been have got approval greater than 90, 95% yes. um, based on the standard criteria of how we divide, define vaccine efficacy. So they've met those criteria. Yeah. And um, from a manufacturing perspective, the ability to make them quickly, to scale up quickly, uh, to distribute them quickly um, have been very, very successful. Uh, and so this is one example of, uh, of a innovation um, that seemed like it was done overnight, but took 30 years of background work that, that was happening that people didn't see. Yeah. Following up on that, it was a very good point that you mentioned that it took 30 years to get where we are today. And uh, the recent Nobel Prize 
was also uh, validating the same um, sentiment. There is still much disagreement over the use of these vaccines. And you know, the thing that you just said, some people think it's too new, but it didn't happen overnight. There's always the lack of data question. You know, we don't know what happened six months after taking the vaccine. Well, we know now, but like, you know, what about one year? And um, there are always some people who are simply anti-vaxxers. So are these vaccines safe? How do we put our audience's mind at ease? Because you know, we have people from who associate with every sort of sentiment. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like any drug, in, and, and similar to that, any vaccine, uh, it is always a balance between efficacy and safety. So there is no, there's no drug that is 100% efficacious, has zero side effects, mm. and is free. This is the ideal drug, yeah. right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yes. So, so you will always have less than 100% efficacy, more than 0% safety, and it will cost something, right? Yes. And it's a balance between these three things. So similarly, every vaccine has some side effect and will, will have some um, effect. So one of the ways I've been sort of trying to answer the question, especially with vaccines and also with many other things these days, it seems, is that um, when you ask me which vaccine is better, because I've been reading a lot about each of these vaccines, I, the, my answer is um, all are equally bad. Take <laughs> <laughs> anyone, all are equally bad. Okay. Uh, so there's no perfect vaccine. So, um, so that's sort of a short answer to your question. Uh, your question, but but realistically, I think like to answer your question about uh, for, for people who who don't believe in vaccines or you know have mm. this this idea. I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, you know. To to and and you know, that that's what the beauty of the human population is. Everyone thinks differently. Yeah. I, in my opinion, there are um, everything sort of always falls into a low, medium, high bucket, right? So when mm. I, any, any problem that you have, the solution to that always falls into a low, medium, high bucket. That's can, kind of generally how I address uh, any issue that I'm facing. So in the anti-vaxxers uh, discussion, um, the if you consider what the low, medium, high are, there are some people who don't want to take the vaccine because of their own personal experiences that they have. Mm. because they had a huge rash when they took some vaccine. Yeah, yeah. They said, hey, I don't want to take any vaccine because maybe maybe all vaccines induce this rash and it's really bad because I have my personal story to tell. Yeah. So if I have, if, if I have a personal story of something really bad happened to a family member who took a vaccine, those people, it's hard to convince them otherwise because you need a lot of data to mm. show them that, you know, that was a rare case of whatever mm. happened. Yeah. Right? For them, it was not rare. It happened yeah. to them. Yeah. You, can't, yeah. you can't ignore the fact. And it was, and more likely than not, it happened because of the vaccine, maybe, most likely, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the adverse, the rare side effects that we see. So those are one group of people. The, the other group, the extreme, uh, let, let, let's come to the extreme group uh, uh, later, but there another group of people who are, are I would say, accidental anti-vaxxers. Like, for example, mm, they and, and they could also toggle in that first group. Paul Offit tells a story when you he's written a book and he's also talked to an NPR. And I like the story that he tells. 
uh, is he was in his clinic and he's a pediatric um, uh, infectious disease person in, in children's hospital here in Philadelphia. And he tells a story where uh, there was a patient, there was a little child who had come to get their regular shot for their vaccine to, their, to his vaccine clinic. The mother was holding the child and ready and um, and Paul had, you know, taken the syringe um, and filled the syringe with the vaccine and about to give the vaccine. Just before giving the vaccine, the child had some kind of an epileptic seizure. Oh. Just before giving the vaccine, because, oh. you know, there was some underlying condition that the child had before mm -hmm. and suddenly that, that child got um, some seizure, for example. I'm just giving you what she, he, he actually said. Yeah. Now, if the, if the child had got a seizure, after the vaccine was given, there was no way you could have convinced the mother that it wasn't because of the vaccine. True. Right? So, so this, is that, this is that group of people who've actually seen things happening with the vaccine mm. and you can't convince them no matter how much data you provide. Right? So, so mm -hmm. those are, I, I would say the, if the, the, those are the legitimate anti-vaxxers who, who yeah. are making the decision not to take the vaccine because of the data and the risk they don't want to take. Now there's a whole different uh, uh, explanation that we might have to, uh, uh, the people have to give them is because especially for COVID vaccines, sometimes you don't take the, you don't wear a mask or wear or take vaccines necessarily to protect yourself, but you take it to protect others. Mm. Also, right, so the fact that you're not infected helps somebody else who might be infected because, because you might transmit the virus. So these, this group of people are people who you, I think, can, with data can convince or, yeah. or not convince, but ex give them the data, enough data to, for them to make the decision of going one way or the other. The yeah. other group of people who are the real anti-vaxxers, I would say, are just fanatics and they don't, you can't, you can't do, you can't have rational discussions with them. Um, you know, so, so I don't know how to convince them that, um, you know, that vaccines are not good, but it, it, it and let, the less I talk about it right now, the better it is because my own sanity, I guess. Yeah, probably yeah. these are, I guess, the uh, YouTube and Google scientists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I think uh, I, I'm a strong believer that vaccine provides more benefit than the, the, yeah. the small risk that it does. And, and that's, that's what I will talk about. Yeah. And I mean, you've proved that, you know, your desire to make a larger impact uh, on uh, how uh, society gets its medicine and drugs uh, through your change from a prolific academic career to industry. So, um, I mean, I've already probably put words in your mouth, but was this the only reason that you changed or uh, was there another reason that you moved to industry? Well, I think... Money obviously was one of the criteria. Whether mm. it is not not only the money, but money is significantly in industry. Mm. Uh, that's attractive when you're in yeah. a young career. You know, when I when you're uh, when you have to raise a family and you have to you mm. know do all your responsibilities. Um, you know, money has a big role in in your mm. life at that time. And when industry provides that opportunity of getting more money, why not? Right. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the drivers. But then I think as, after I moved to industry, I re realized that, uh, I mean, there's enormous amount of science that is done in industry. I think it's underestimated of how much deep science is done in industry because uh -huh. 
there is a there is a you know sort of stigma in academia in general mm-hmm. uh, and <clears throat> all over the world i think that uh, when you move to the industry they call they say something like you've gone to the dark side or you know you you something <laughs> like that <laughs> but but i think i think uh, different kind of work is done in academia and different kind of work is done in industry so in the drug development process the academics are the ones who are discovering the mechanisms of disease they are looking at mechanism of action of a drug and they're identifying you know the inish, which which they're screening a lot of different things to find out what may or may not work right what industry does well is once you know what works how to take it through the drug development process of doing the pharmacology toxicology clinical trials manufacturing and getting them tested in human clinical trials and doing all of that mm. that's what the industry does for the most part like 80% of the time industry does all of that and academia yeah. does the discovery part mm. where both of them get into trouble when academics try to manufacture the drug or okay. the industry try to discover a, a disease uh, <laughs> because they are not yeah. equipped neither is equipped to do the other person's job mm. yeah so, uh, but yeah the human nature i we always want to do more than we can yeah that's true um so uh, what you've uh, kind of um, given to us is a little bit of a direction that you know academia plays a role in the beginning you study the disease you characterize it you find out targets um and then the industry sort of moves into i like uh, developing a drug for those targets doing the clinical trials but there's an amalgamation now right so some industries uh, like to hire certain labs or give them some grants to do these preclinical studies etc you've spent time in labs in usa and in india and in both uh, academia and industry what is your uh, comparison of these sort of amalgamations in both these countries uh, since we are at different levels of research at the moment yeah maybe we start with the us first okay. um, so i think us has had a very uh, important uh, funding agencies in in the us for supporting academic research whether whether it is the nih or the national Found, national science foundation or even the defense grants um there's the small business grants so the government supported funding in the us has been going on for the last you know 50 years if not more 100 okay so so academic research is reasonably well funded to do very high end research in fact most of the real discoveries are done in academia in the in um, nih funded grants right um, so nih funds very high risk projects which may, may or may not succeed right okay. but but academia academia does that kind of work and uh, and the collaboration with academia and and the industry uh, which leads to licensing of molecules or or patents um is is very systematically organized in the in the united states i mean I, i'm talking about the majority of the institutions with our which have like you know like penn columbia uh cornell the big the big universities i'm sure smaller universities do too um they have a business division they have a licensing division which can can like work the academics can work with okay. the licensing division to work with the mm-hmm. with the industry to license their ideas into the industry okay and similarly the industry also has an interest in getting licensed uh, molecules and and mechanism of action patents for okay. their products for a price mm. right? um 
So that system has been going on for the last at least 50 years in the United States. And it's become, it's a well-oiled machine now. Mm. You know, uh, it's, for, it's going quite well in the US. Um, and also from the industry side, this is the academic industry collaboration and also from yeah. the venture capital, venture capital um, mm. process, right? There is a, the venture capital um, franchise is much more aware of the risks that are involved in drug discovery in, in biotechnology. Um, and then therefore they are investing in something that doesn't, that they know that doesn't have immediate return, uh, return of investment, right? Um, so, so the so the whole system sort of has a good environment for everyone to to succeed uh, in in their own space. Now let's move to India, and in India, what happens is biotechnology is just beginning right now, as far as you know, industry is as the industry per se is concerned. Department of Biotechnology and BIRAC, these government agencies, have started doing the funding like NIH used to do or uh, still does but the magnitude is much lower, right? So um, mm. if, uh, if, 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 a, if a large organization, if a large academic or a government institution in, in the US has, um, has a budget, it'll be in billions of dollars. A few billions of dollars will be the budget in a, in a, in a university like Penn or large institution, right? Um, institution like um, like all India Institute of Medical Sciences or NCBS or will will not have it will only only be in the few millions of dollars, not even few hundreds of millions of dollars. That's true. So, so the magnitude of investment in India for for doing biotechnology is multiple logs lower, right? Obviously, so that that is one barrier to entry. Department of Biotechnology is trying to overcome that barrier by providing the funding that is required to. To, to get there. So, but we are just in the beginning phases right now, right? So the yeah. academic research is still very, very dependent on, um, on these grants to get to do the funding. Yeah. Similarly, the appetite for risk in the biotechnology mm. sector in India is very low. Mm. Or the venture capital in India, the appetite for them is very low. Only few come few venture capitalists will in, venture into something in which the return of investment may be 20 years later. Yes. Everybody wants an investment immediately. I want my return of investment two-fold, three-fold, ten-fold within two years. Mm. That doesn't happen in industry. So that awareness that the industry takes a long time to, um, to get returns is, is a very um, you know, foreign concept for invest investors in India. Yes, and that will take time. That will take times. There has to be some success stories, and, uh, and those success stories will lead to, uh, to to improvement of that. I feel fortunate to be in the space in be in both these countries where I can mm. participate in the conversations and actually do the work in that space in this area. Yeah. Uh, just if if you may, I just uh, I was having a conversation with my friend recently in Boston who was who's sort of my uh, mentor and helps me to understand this investment part because that's not sort of my expertise. Yeah. So um, a conversation in India would happen like this, right? You, uh, an, a, a VC would go to an academic or, um, or a small biotech company and the and biotech company would say, we are developing a drug and mm -hmm. I want you to invest $10 million in my, in my company, right? And the VC will ask a question, okay, 
I'll, I'll invest $10 million, but then when am I going to get the money back? He said, no, you'll never get the money back. You may never get the money back in the next 10 years. And, okay, okay. Then why, so obviously, why should I put the $10 million? Okay, go right. Then let me see. Well, then are you, um, the, when, when will your cash flow start? Okay. I said, uh, there'll be no cash flow in my company. You're going to give me $10 million, there will be no cash flow in my company because I'm developing a drug. I'm in fact going to ask you 10 years, five, two years from now, I'm going to ask you $100 million because I need, still need to do my 30 million. So not only, not only am I not going to give you cash flow back, but I'm going to ask you for more money in the next couple of years. Okay. Okay. You don't have cash flow. It's like, uh, how about expenses? And you know, what, what about that? Yeah, no, all of the, I'll only have expenses. I have no, no cash flow. I have nothing. Uh, then the investor will look that what am I, what am I, why am I giving you this money? Oh, there is a likelihood that you will get a billion dollars 10 years from now. If someone buys us, mm. what is that likelihood? Uh, maybe 2% probability. Uh, okay. Uh, so then, then the investor said, if I just put $10 million in the bank, they'll give me 15% interest. Yeah. Why should I bother about this 2% probability of 10, you know, a billion dollars 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. So when you look at it logically, the investor is not, the average investor is not um, used to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And, and there are very few people, there are a few companies, there, there are a few investors in India who are doing this actively now. But, yes. but for the most part, this is the kind of investor in the IT industry. You give money to the IT industry, you get money back quickly. Yes. And the, and the, and the expenses are very low. I just need mm. one high school student to program my software. Right. Mm. And I've suddenly got a product which can make millions of dollars for me. Mm -hmm. I'm exaggerating, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but the biotechnology sector is going to take some time to mm. get, just get to a place where um, where we will be. I think India, what India is very good at um, is leapfrogging, leapfrogging technologies. So we didn't have phones. We didn't mm -hmm. have landlines. Now 900 million cell phones in, in India. We'll, we leapfrog the entire uh, digital industry. We didn't have a banking system. There were no banks. People didn't, we have a, we have a whole secondary economy of people who don't have, who don't use banks, right? Yeah. Today, the UPI system, everybody is, has a bank on their phone. Yes. Everybody has a bank on their phone. You have credit on your phone. Mm. Right? Yes. Leap, so India is very good at leapfrogging industry, the leapfrogging technologies. So I'm <laughs> hoping that in the biotechnology sector, there will be some kind of a leap that will happen in the next five to yeah. ten years, mm. which will transform how drug development happens in the world. And India may have the opportunity to show that to make extremely cheap drugs, Mm. And and reduce the cost of healthcare enormously. Yeah, I think India has that potential to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what will I'm, be that technology? What will be that you know inflection point that will make that happen? I don't know, but yeah. I want to play in that sandbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, what you're saying is, is quite interesting because so during this COVID-19 pandemic, there were shortages of uh, oxygen cylinders, of uh, concentrators and um, of uh, overall, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, medical equipment. And uh, so I'm from IIT Kanpur and uh, that's why I know a little bit more uh, about that. They have an incubation cell 
uh, where they had a couple of startups who produced uh, cheap medical equipment and also these oxygen concentrators. So I want to ask you, as you mentioned uh, with venture capitalists, there are some people who are putting in money. And these days, people are putting this kind of money more into incubation cells, into startups. So is that, uh, is, is that probably the leapfrogging that you're referring to? Is that our way to gain visibility? Yeah, I think I, think I don't have a magic uh, ball to say that this is the thing that will change mm-hmm. it, right? It'll probably be a combination of many different things. So let's look at what those factors could be, right? Yeah. And usually there are four or five factors that we, if, if all four of us say one thing, we'll come up with those four factors, right? Okay. But let me, let me say, for example, the talent is extraordinary. The, our education system that has been there for the last several decades, that, mm. that we've had IITs, the Indian Institute of Science, the um, uh, NIPERS, the whatever, you know, the, all the academic institutions that have been placed with provide affordable, high quality education to students has created a talent pool, which is probably the best in the world in terms of numbers, right? Mm. With a high quality education. Yes. Uh, look at the manufacturing capabilities. I mean, today, India is the largest manu- manufacturing hub for not just um, vaccines, which we all know of, but you know, all small molecules. We, mm. we provide 40 to 50% of the uh, small molecule drugs for every drug that is made in the United States and maybe many parts of the world are getting drugs and manufacturing. So, so the manufacturing capability is there, right? The, the talent is there. Yep. The government interest is there. Birax, Department of Bio, there's a lot of government support that is happening, right? No one thing. The missing piece may the missing pieces may be the venture capital, the high value the, the uh, investment that is required, the hundred, two hundred million dollar investment yeah. required to take things to the next level. That may be required. Yeah. Digital capital. India is the is the digital hub of the world. I mean, IT is the the the, the merger between IT and BT, IT and biotechnology, is imminent. It has to happen. And where will it happen best? It'll happen in India. Mm-hmm. All the people who have cell phones, all of the healthcare, the distribution of the healthcare. India may never have an insurance process. We may never have insurance like we have in the United States. But a yeah. completely different model will appear mm-hmm. out of nowhere, out of, out of some, you know, some ingenious thinking, mm-hmm. some aggregator where healthcare can be provided to millions of people. So all of these multiple things will come together and suddenly that leapfrog will happen. You know, I have goosebumps, like the kind of passion with which you're talking about this. And I think this is exactly what our country needs right now. You straddle India and USA and you have these ideas and these ideas, I hope through our podcast and through your book, for example, will get translated into reality. And, you know, people are going to start thinking about it and they, they probably are. We never, we don't know. And, you know, this, this impact, this visibility of Indian research and, um, advancement to affordable medicine will happen really soon. Yeah, we always ba- are very good at bashing ourselves that oh we didn't <laughs> do this. India said, "Tell me, tell one innovation that came out of India that you know made India." No, no. What will you do? What will you do? No, no. Right. 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 Doesn't mean like, you know, everybody has to do the, exactly the same thing. Yeah. And because we don't, because I'm not saying we don't, but let's say we do less of, less of that uh, 
we have less Nobel laureates, for example, in the world, right? And every year we hear two, three Nobel laureates from the United States. Mm. So but, but we are good at certain things. Yes. Let's do that better than anybody else in the world. Like that, that's sort of the, the and in the, taking, taking this US and India to another extreme, um, you know, because I am now a citizen of both countries, like I'm overseas citizen in India and also a, a citizen in the US, I feel like this nationalism, the whole concept of nationalism is bad for humanity. Everybody should become world citizen and allowed to go anywhere in the world and they, we should dissolve all the... <laughs> See, now, now, now your glass is overflowing. It's not full anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, uh, what an enlightening beginning. I mean, a humble beginning with great mentors and of course, hard work. We also appreciate you putting all our minds at ease relating to the current pandemic and vaccines. Uh, your insights into USA and Indian biotechnology level is also thought-provoking, and we hope India will be on the path to success soon as well. Uh, your thoughts on Indian startups are uh, also really very, very interesting. Yeah, and you know, having uh, Vikram, uh, you mentioning that, um... Narain has himself started a company, Symphony Tech Biologics. Absolutely. Uh, he straddles India and USA, providing engineered solutions to pharmaceutical companies. Um, so Narain, you promised that the application of statistics-based solutions can help manufacture drugs better. It is only imminent that we also get the origin of Symphony uh, Tech Biologics as well. So how did Symphony Tech begin? So this was a company that my brother, brother-in-law, my friend, and actually my friend first, and then brother-in-law, Ravi Khare, and his partner, Atul uh, Khandekar, started in, in, in early 80s. Um, and they are engineers, and they are the real entrepreneurs. You know, they, they left college and started the company. They, didn't, they, oh. didn't, they never really worked uh, anywhere much. Um, and you know, that is true entrepreneurship, where you lay your, your line, you, you know, you, you bet against the odds of your own life and livelihood. Mm. Um, and, and then you say, I'm gonna do something fantastic. And, and you really have passion to do that. So they, for the last 30 years or so, they've been doing this work in the, uh, in the area of data analytics in the engineering side of business. They are mathematicians and statisticians. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so they understand numbers, they understand, how to do modeling they they, they do all of these uh, you know, in my term in my my language will be like fancy out of I, this is not my comfort zone and so when i talk to uh, ravi and atul several times over the years um, you know i i slowly start to understand what they are trying to do in terms of using data to to be, make processes better to inform your um, clients or your or your customers to to do to work a little bit better in terms of their processes, looking at trend analysis, looking at design of experiment, looking at, you know, modeling things and predicting things in the future that could happen of risks mm -hmm. that, that you could anticipate using mathematics. Yeah. So when I left Biocon uh, in 2019, Ravi and I had a deep conversation around this and I, and I was telling him about biology. And for him, biology is a foreign subject. So when I told him, about recombinant DNA technology and how recombinant DNA technology can be used to manufacture goods and et cetera, et cetera. His question will be, hey, hey, what is DNA? Mm. So, you know, so, so, so we are both learning completely new languages um, in our 60s now, both of us. And, and uh, we're, we're having such a great time understanding and I'm learning a little bit of mathematics. He's learning a little bit of 
biology. He's actually gone, he's gone one step further. He's actually gone back to Bits Pilani and is doing his master's in engineering in software engineering, learning oh, AI wow. technologies right now at the age of 60. That's wow. amazing. He's really pushed the... <laughs> yeah, commendable. Yeah, so, so what we do is we talk to a lot of different uh, industries uh, in, in the pharmaceutical business. And yeah. a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot of my friends, pretty much my friends in the, in the industry, and, and they've given an opportunity for us to you know, look at their problems and try to see if we can help them solve them through mathematical means. Mm. So that's what we are exploring right now. And yeah. we've got about 20 employees now in Pune. We develop okay. some software tools to do that. And, and, um, and we like to look at ourselves as you know, a company that is doing something to help both the industries, both the biology and the engineering side of things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like that's all very nice about, you know, why you translated and uh, why you started the company. But I mean, you know, truth time. Was it because you wanted to be your own boss? You wanted freedom from all the politics <laughs> and administrative stuff? <laughs> well, you know, I was not really looking to start the start the company or, or, or looking to be an entrepreneur when I left Biocon or when I was planning to leave Biocon. My, my role was, you know, I was, I was going to retire. I mean, in, at, at the age of 58, you retire officially at, in India. I think it's a great thing that you retire early at, at, at 58. I think, I think people should retire even earlier in the, in the future. Because, you know, <laughs> if by 58, you haven't figured out how to live for yourself. <laughs> but anyway, but, 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 you know, I retired at the age of 58. And what, what I was originally planning to do is do a little bit of consulting and travel the world and, you know, have, have a good time in the rest. I don't know what I was thinking. But uh, one of the things that Ravi told me, you will be bored in like three months or two months. Yeah. yeah. You'll be bored if you, if you don't have a job, if you don't have something to do. Because you've worked all your life and you... Yeah really can't not work yeah. and so he was right I mean I think having having the company gave a sense of a little little bit sense of a purpose saying that okay I, I have this responsibility of ensuring that you know to get salaries make sure that 20 people are paid salaries yeah <laughs> you know that you have to do something so yeah yeah, and yeah but you're right you're you're right Charu I think um, part of it was like you know let me be my own boss also once <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, also, if if you want to uh, be responsible for the salaries of 21 people instead of 20, I will send you my resume. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, always, we're always looking for interesting people to, to join us. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you know, you've you've told us a bit about Symphony Tech, and it's uh, it's a it helps pharmaceutical companies again to perform risk assessment, provides mitigation strategies during a product's life cycle. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you know, like maths and statistics is all fancy to you. This is all fancy terminology to us. In simple words, what does Symphony Tech do? Yeah. So in uh, Symphony Tech Biologics, which is a which is a different company from Symphony Tech, which is the engineering okay. side of the business, okay. we have uh, I would call four pillars. Um, the first one is the data pillar, where we help people collect their own data, uh, and in that we have we have created an ele electronic quality management system, which contains an electronic notebook, a learning management system, systems that can collect data for you. Mm -hmm. The second thing we do is once that data is collected, we analyze that data and that date and that analysis of the data, the software that is required for analyzing the data, that is the second part of the pillar that we do. The third part 
is using the data that we generate and analyze, we do predictive uh, modeling, mathematical okay. modeling for prediction, develop predictive models using mathematics to predict what can go wrong potentially and anticipate things that could potentially go wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's the third, which, which is again, software related. Mm -hmm. And the fourth pillar is, is sort of the human brain, uh, like use our experiences, collective experiences in trying to help solve problems that the companies may have using our, exper our personal experiences. So the, the, the continuum of what we do is we take data, analyze it, predict, uh, what could go wrong or, or predict risks and mm -hmm. then provide solutions ultimately to the whole picture. I know a long answer, right. but yeah. that's in my mind, that's the progression of what we do uh, in our company. Yeah, okay. So um, by uh, like for as an example, and you can tell me if it's, if it's wrong. So you basically uh, say, for example, one thing could be that a company has come up with a drug and they, uh, you could potentially predict that your manufacturing capacity isn't enough, that you can produce this much amount of drug by this time. So um, how to uh, streamline the process more efficiently, for example? Yeah, that could be, that could be one example, yes. Okay. And the other example, uh, the other, other extreme of the example, that is something that, for example, Ravi and his team are very good at because they are engineers manufacturing. The other example of, of, of uh, predicting would be, uh, your drug binds to target X. Okay. Right. That X induces signal transduction into a cell and induces calcium flux and induces transcription factors, induces expression of 20,000 genes at different levels. Those genes then result into proteins. Those proteins act on 10 different organs. Mm. We put mathematical equations between all of these middle things and we can tell you whether your drug is going to work on this patient. Oh, that's amazing. Precision medicine. Precision yeah. medicine through mathematics. Very nice. We need it. Yeah, absolutely yeah. need it. So you're I right. Mean, we, yeah. we do. We do. Uh, we use the mathematical uh, algorithms to study um, manufacturing processes, like you said, make manufacturing processes more efficient. And we also do bio, the mathematics of biology, we, and that's sort of where we're exploring in in those both those spaces. Mm -hmm. So um, I have had personally had this discussion with you before, but I want uh, for all of our viewers to also know how you realized a caveat. How did you realize that there was a need for Symphony Tech Biologics? Because what you're saying, of course, like in terms of precision medicine, I see it that, you know, we require this mathematical modeling, but in terms of uh, manufacturing, streamlining, production, regulatory affairs, et cetera, I feel like companies already have these systems in place. So where is Symphony Tech Biologics so important in this uh, area? Yeah. So one advantage I had in my career was I worked in companies which were doing this kind of work. Like, you know, I worked at Merck, who was developing vaccines, Amgen, which was developing biologics. And, and, bi and in Biocon, they were doing a lot of biosimilars work and also novel molecules. Yes. Um, what happens in an industry, like I said, it's very regimented, right? Their mm -hmm. goal is to get drugs approved. Mm -hmm. at a particular timeline, right? In order for them to get their drugs approved, they have to just go through their motions of doing all the, checking all the boxes that they need to complete, right? So pharmacology is done, toxicology. Toxicology is done, clinical trials. Clinical trials are done, you need to get the, the IND or, or the BLA document completed. BLA mm -hmm. document is done, you submit to the FDA, FDA sends you the questions, you do an audit. It, it's, like a, it's like a machine, right? 
very few people have time to look at whether the machine is oiled okay or whether or whether the machine is working well or not or how can we improve this machine mm. right so the operational excellence kind of teams that you have yeah. right in in companies and large companies do have uh, operational excellence teams but most small companies and mid-sized in companies do can't afford to have teams who are constantly improving your process and looking Absolutely. at how you can improve so mm. there's where a company like symphony tech can come in yeah. and help people improve what they are currently doing and have a larger impact with the same kind of work that they're doing already yeah it's it's quite a bit of an out of the box thing right it's it's completely out of um, the general uh, industry working because uh, you know like this like they say if it isn't broken why fix it yeah 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 and so you've just kind of like you're like that's okay but we need to improve it and yeah. uh, the same kind of out of the box thinking i think also goes with your co-founders you said they're engineers and um, they specialize in mathematics statistics programming that sort of a thing so uh, do you think um, non life scientists are uh, better uh, or set out for success starting these life science ventures that's an interesting question no uh, the, the short answer is no i think it, it doesn't really depend on your education or it really depends on some aptitude that you might have right <laughs> entrepreneurship requires a little bit of a thick skin to take yeah. to take on criticism all the time yeah. you know to take to to be able to accept failures all the time mm -hmm. uh, and to see how those failures can teach you all you know to take your next steps that that sort of ruggedness of of uh, of perseverance is a real quality that is required to be an entrepreneur i think that, uh, and and that can come from anyone um and so what what i think i i, I won't be i won't say that success all successful entrepreneurs do this but i think successful entrepreneurs know that they can't do everything and so they find people who can do things for them and then yeah. work build teams who can get things done and and i think that's that's something that is a art that cannot i don't think can be taught either some some of it comes intrinsically some of it comes through observing how other people work and so mm -hmm. that's that's i think making people work together not making figuring out a way of how people can work together and bring diverse experiences to make something brand new is something that that entrepreneurship requires yeah so it's it's like finding the correct uh, puzzle pieces yeah yeah finding the correct <laughs> and, and and vulnerability is a word that you know i think a lot of entrepreneurs experience um, mm -hmm. they don't they, they may not express it but many times you know entrepreneurs have to be have have to remain vulnerable to to things that um that could go wrong and you know the whole business could fall apart because of some some wrong doing or some some wrong step that they took or some competition came along mm -hmm. so you know that awareness that something could go wrong very large could go wrong all mm -hmm. the time always on their head that risk is very high and not many yeah. people in life want to take that risk Mm. Everybody wants a safe journey in their career, right? Salary yeah. coming in every year, <laughs> increments coming every two years. Yeah. Every three, four years, my house is a little bit bigger. My car is a little bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit further away on. I'm going a little bit further away on vacation, and suddenly you know you're 60 and you have to retire, and then you don't know what to do. 
<laughs> yeah, but then you can join an entrepreneurial venture. Yeah. And start living all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on the same lines, was this? Um, so when you joined Symphony Tech Biologics in 2019, when you founded it, um, was this your vision uh, for what the company is right now, or has it evolved over time? Was there perhaps an incident right at the beginning that kind of shaped what it was going to be? Yeah, it's a good question because I've not done anything like it before in terms of entrepreneurship, like true entrepreneurship. There has been some uh, entrepreneurship-like activities when I was in in, in uh, leadership positions in these companies. But when you when we're doing entrepreneurship, I think one of the things that I learned from Ravi and Atul is you have to keep adjusting your uh, your um, plans not not your not the purpose not necessarily the purpose and mission and, and and what you ultimately want to do but the specific tactical things you might have to work on like for example we had said oh we're going to have the manufacturing division of how you know we're going to improve manufacturing in india right but no one wants to talk to us right for example we've not got any experience in working in that directly it's yes. great to say that we'll have all these solutions for you, but you show me the show me what you've done before. Somebody has to give you that opportunity to to to, to try what you're doing. But meanwhile, somebody comes and asks the question, "Hey, can you tell us whether our drug will work in this scenario or not? In the in in this in this kind of a cancer or not? Hey, you know what? Maybe maybe our mathematical methods that we use can apply to that problem also. So then, sort of, we steer on working on on in that direction." In our company, so the company keeps adjusting slightly towards the towards the direction based on what the needs of the industry are. But you're not, but you're not going something. You're not making soaps, for example, tomorrow, right? Mm. Um, although, although we can, and and I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, Ismo is there's a, there's a very funny comedian called Ismo. I don't know, if, I don't okay. know if you've seen him. One, he's he's from Finland. Okay. And, and you know, a lot of people say something like. Uh, uh, you know, there's some some uh, some some gadget that is that that people are using, right? And uh, and uh, what, what gadget should we say? Let, let, let's let's say a, a, a lawnmower, lawnmower. Okay. I think he talks about a lawnmower, and the lawnmower makes a racket, makes a lot of yeah. noise, and even the most sophisticated lawnmower is like very noisy and. You know, it's not 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 very easy to use and all that kind of stuff, right? Then somebody walking by saying, you know, we put a man on the moon. I'm sure, you know, and and yet we can't make a, a lawn quiet lawn. <laughs> but but Ismo sort of analyzes further, and I love the analysis that he does, and this is why I like him so much. He says, you know what? He says, hmm, wait a minute. Uh, the people who are putting the man on the moon. Are not the same people who are making the lawnmower. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah. but if they stop all that activity mm. of, of putting the man on the moon and leave everything and decide that they want to work on a lawnmower, then maybe they may be able to make a, a quiet lawnmower. <laughs> right? The reason I'm telling you this is that. You, when you ask the question, what does what is what do we do for for, for the uh, what does Symphony Tech do and what is our guardrails is what we want to do, mm -hmm. uh, we we sort of play in this space right of data yeah. analytics and pharmaceutical industry and manufacturing yes. and and mechanism of action and we don't make soaps we can make soaps but we don't 
Yeah. Uh, so, but that sort of the b- broad outline and the mm. sort of curly bracket is more joke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I guess, you know, while being at the right place at the right time is important, we have certainly learned a way to analyze and establish that there are unanswered needs, always looking for a solution. And the novelty of Symphony Tech Services is definitely a big asset in that mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, sir, uh, like your startup in a way isn't uh, limited just to the company. Uh, in September 2021, we all know that you published a book, Good Genes Gone Bad, through Penguin India. So, a much needed book, especially in today's time, uh, which provides a kind of like a layman, a glimpse into the awesome world of pharmaceuticals. So congratulations on the publication, sir. Thank you. So, thank you. Uh, in this book, you recount complex and challenging drug development failures and eventual success stories. Uh, we do have few questions for you, and we will be careful not to reveal more than what's on the back cover. So, Charu. Please. Yeah, Vikram, that's a wonderful <laughs> gist. I think you stole it from Penguin India, huh? Absolutely. That's <laughs> what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, that book is amazing, you know. <laughs> so, in your words, Narain, how would you describe the book? And can we, can we see uh, the book again? Actually, this is one of the rare books that is available that, that, that is physically a, is present in the United States. There's no oh, wow. physical copies in the United States yet. It'll come in a couple of months, I'm told. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Because we also looked and uh, we can buy it in India. So that's what Vikram and I were discussing the other mm-hmm. day. I, I do have a question for that at the end also. But like, I mean, I'll still tell you. So we were looking <laughs> and we were like, oh, it's in Penguin India. Maybe we can ask our relatives to buy it and keep it. That's <laughs> true. That's the only way you can get it for now. But it's not available physically in India. Yeah, to, but to summarize what you know, what the what the book is about in my own words, um, it is about failures. You know, one of the things that I have uh, experienced, all of us have, uh, is is during the drug development process there have been a lot of failures. And and what I notice is, in we don't write about our failures. We don't write a paper on this thing failed, right? Yeah. We always write that this thing succeeded. Right. So we don't write a lot about failures. So I have been writing about failures quite a bit, not in the book, but in blogs in my own notes to really understand what has been failures and and whether it is whether it was at um, earlier on in my career when i was doing my phd or whether i was in amgen or or merck or upenn there there have I've observed large failures occurring all the time you know f- yeah. these failures are occurring all the time around us yeah but we don't we don't analyze them and and you know look at them carefully all I've done is I've taken them and carefully started looking at them as why why did that failure occur and what could have been done to one prevent it and uh, what could have uh, and and what happened after the failure because after the failure usually it's always a success yes right? because you're at the bottom right. of your bottom of the bottom of the curve right. and the only place you is going going up so then what happened because of that and that's what allowed me to uh, evolve and so one picture that I've drawn for hand my my niece Gauri has done the doodling on this book but wow. if you look at any any um, if, if the y-axis is sort of success mm-hmm. in, in numerical value then the story of gene therapy something good happens it goes up then some some patient dies and yes. right. comes down then you go up and come down and come go up and come down yeah and so in 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 biology we are or mathematics we learn that when it goes up and it comes down, the inflection point is point just before 
the 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 point that is coming down right something happens and that's why the curve comes down yeah and so by studying inflection points in a way and and Allah has allowed me to look at critically through the reasons for the failure and what happened after the failure so that's yeah. what the book is about yeah that's that's actually a, a very interesting thing and uh, so while i was reading the back cover of your book also um and i think uh, in somebody's review i forget on the penguin india page it says it's a collection of failures and you know that ultimately defined the fate of success in drug yeah. development yeah. and uh, that's quite interesting because recently i had the opportunity to visit the kennedy space center where they talk about another large failure apollo 13 yes and yeah. if they didn't talk about apollo 13 there would be a no international space station yeah there would be no spacex you know all of these things right yes. so that's kind of also uh, uh, an equi- um, an equivalent to what your book is about it's about the apollo 13 had to happen so that spacex could take its its flight so true so true so true yeah so uh, it's a popular and catchy title good genes gone bad yeah. how did you settle on it <laughs> no no there there's not much choice my editor ruvin chadda she was very very okay. good she's done this for a living and she said this yeah. she, she read the first chapter that i had sent her to read it was about hemophilia and the story of my friend murli who has hemophilia and oh. uh, and uh, and it was his gene that is mutated the factory yeah. gene that is mutated which caused the disease but ultimately gene therapy mm-hmm. will treat him in the future right yeah so yeah good gene gone bad so so yeah. it was heavily influenced by the first chapter <laughs> all yeah. the rest, yeah yeah i mean it's it's a it's a weird um way of seeing it you know sometimes i see gene uh, like genes on like a motorcycle with a black jacket and stuff but like <laughs> it's not really meant to be that kind of like you know bad boy yeah, kind of yeah, cool yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So um well you know writing as a scientist is a key asset you've done it all your life in academia you've mm-hmm. written sops and probably so much more uh, mm-hmm. during your time in the industry how mm-hmm. was it different to write this book when compared to scientific writing of papers as well as book chapters well, very different very different i think writing layman language for scientists is very difficult actually i don't know mm-hmm. you've also probably experienced similar kind of things to explain a very difficult subject in a very simple way is is an art the ability to mm-hmm. tell stories is 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 not easy for for us you know yeah. uh, i'm i'm i use us as a generic scientist um, term mm-hmm. um and this is something that we we have to learn we have to learn um how to do this and fortunately for me because of my uh, passion to teach i teach a lot and i've been teaching all through my career um uh, like you know uh, literally catch people and teach them all kinds of things whether it is yeah. whether it is uh, immunology or whether it's a drug development or is about drums or anything i'll just teach anybody anything no and and yeah. because i know because i know in the back of my mind when i teach i learn more so mm-hmm. so that is one of the reasons i keep teaching so so you know when i when i started writing i i found it really difficult but then fortunately for me there was a course in bangalore uh, on writing that i took uh, which is called bangalore's world famous semi deluxe writing program semi deluxe wow <laughs> that's interesting guys <laughs> why didn't you take deluxe <laughs> this is not my course this is a course <laughs> <laughs> my friend teaches and she's a writer 
It was an eight-week course where um, you know they teach you how to write um, books, basically, or of different kind of different genres. So first week you write a poetry, second week you write uh, a short story, third week you write a long story, fourth week you do translations, uh, fifth week you might write um, you know a, an essay on a on a current topic that is happening. Next you write a children's book, children's article. Uh, so every week is a different genre and there are about 30 students in the class and everyone reviews each other every week of what they've written, how they, and you, you get to see 30 different articles every week that, that yeah. people have written. So in a small eight week period, got a, like a big, nice, good dose of reading, um, of, of writing in different styles. Yeah. Uh, and so I started using those styles. It took me three years to write the book, but, mm. but you know, it, I use methodologies to write the book in this way. And, and the first edition, the first part of the book I had written almost very quickly. I'd, within a year, I had written the whole book. Uh, but then it took me another two years to sort of simplify the book, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, where I use three specific methods to, to simplify the book with the various chapters. One is I use analogies wherever I could mm. find them. Uh, to, to explain complex phenomena. Yes. Uh, and uh, the second is I, uh, I try to find out from a historical perspective, if I'm writing a story, what else was happening at that time to put, it a, put a reference to context. Uh, and then the third thing is made it personal by saying what was happening to me at that time in that part of the story. So it mm. became a storytelling uh, exercise and also almost like a little bit of an autobiographical process mm -hmm. uh, during the during the writing of the book. That's what made it a little simpler for me. Uh, I'm yep. curious to see what everybody says, how simple it is. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's obviously really difficult to translate scientific uh, words in like scientific jargon into something which everybody will understand, and also to come up with these sort of analogies that uh, the common person would relate with. Um, in our uh, podcast series, uh, part of, uh, so we start off with your expert engaged interview. We also have other podcasts. Uh, I recently also listened to um, a science journalist uh, referring to the same thing. You know, she's used to writing these complex words and now she has to write for a newspaper. So it's, it's really difficult to kind of uh, be like, you know, what would a common person like? And as you mentioned uh, previously, your partner uh, once asked you, um, what is DNA? explain this a little bit more. How do you come up with that level of patience? Because <laughs> it's so difficult sometimes, you know, like, so my partner is not from, uh, so my husband is not from um, life science. And he'll ask me all of these interesting questions and I want to answer them. But it's, it takes up a lot of patience as well. So how do you manage that? Well, I don't know whether it is intrinsic or not, but you know, I guess you have to like the person to be able to tell that story. Like if you don't like some random person would have asked it, I wouldn't have <laughs> Yeah, so that is one part. The, uh, I think the analogy, in fact, Ravi is my friend. He's he's an expert uh, in, in the analogy part. And, you know, he, he we make up all kinds of analogies. Sometimes the analogies are so bizarre that the analogy is more complex than the actual. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so for like uh, the example of RNA and DNA that I talk about, I, I tell that story in the book about okay. how 
um, DNA is your recipe book in your when you're cooking, mm. uh, and RNA is the um, is 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 the raw material that you might use uh, for cooking. All the masalas, maybe your post on social modifications. Uh. And then, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That that book is going to be a fun one to read, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Naren, you know, there are very popular writer's diseases. So writers get writer's block, lack of muse. Did you also suffer from any of these? Not really. I think, uh, like you said before, I've been used to writing a lot. I've written a lot of scientific, mm-hmm. scientific articles. Where I, where I, I would say struggled was how to simplify the book. I never... I mean, there are, these are only few stories that I've written. I, I can write yet another book of enough more failures, but you know, I don't want to write only about failures. At some point, I also got saturated with all the failures. You know, that's enough already. Um, but there's endless number of failures that you can write about. Maybe somebody else can take on where I left off. But um, but it's uh, I, n- I really never had trouble. But one thing that was interesting for me was when I sort of reflect back on the on my writing process over the last three years, the best writing, I would say, the best writing experience that I had was in the worst of places, uh, okay. which is, you know, waiting for the waiting for the flight to take off or waiting, hoping that the flight is delayed so that I get a little bit more time to uh, write a little bit more while I'm waiting for my flight or sitting in a crowded train uh, or, or sitting in a very busy cafe and a lot of noise happening around me, right? Um, that's where I thought I wrote the best. When I sat in front of a beach or I sat in a farm and you know everything was perfect, I always fell asleep. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> really, but I think it's sort of the, a little bit of time pressure. We're all used to working against timeline, right? So when there's yeah. less time, you quickly get things done. Yeah, we, we like uh, deadlines, you know, we, we like, the, I think um, I maybe most of us in the scientific community like to work under pressure. It's like, yeah. you know, that's, that's the best way. We're the best people to work under pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the similar thing was sort of my own experience in writing. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, you didn't have writer's block. You didn't have a lack of muse, you know, like although you had the oddest places where you would write but were there, there, I'm sure there were editorial conflicts. I mean, what do you mean by editorial conflicts? You know, like, you know, you have, you said um, you had to uh, tame down the language a lot. So yeah, perhaps yeah, your editor had like, you know, these like several notes back and forth, your black written copy completely read, returned, something like that. I was really lucky in that regard. Um, okay. First of all, my editor had agreed to publish the book even before <laughs> I wrote the book, just based okay. on the concept that I told her she was happy to publish the book. But this was a great relief because then, you know, many people struggle finding a right publisher to get published. Um, but that, that I didn't have that problem. The other thing is, um, she did give me a lot of feedback on um, further and further simplifying. And so the methodologies that she suggested of using analogies and where and putting my stories in between was sort of a discussion with her. She, she, she came up with those ideas. Um, no, I think, I think um, editing wise, the, I guess the difficult part for me was to decide which failure story should I tell? Uh, 
-hmm. because I could have told many more, right? But and I'm obsessed with this number seven, so I have to choose seven stories. So I just chose these seven, and then okay. uh, and then COVID happened, and uh, I was I I, um, I was I wanted to write the COVID story, so I wrote the COVID story. But then, uh, if you look in the table of contents, uh, the COVID chapter has no number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so you have, so I mean, well, he, you have like a whole thing about the COVID-19 vaccines. So I'm yes. sure you, like whatever we discussed in the first uh, part, I suppose you've given us more insight into what you yeah. really think about it all. Yeah, yeah. And fortunately for me, what has happened is I was, I was part of the COVID vaccine task force in India. Uh, and, and also, you know, the, the, the Pfizer vaccine was developed by, by Pfizer and the lead uh, person there is Catherine Jensen with whom I've worked in the past and developed the HPV vaccine with her and Jackie Miller with whom I worked on the rotavirus yeah. vaccine is, is the okay. lead in Moderna so I know them personally so I have almost everyday conversations with them about how they are experiencing developing the vaccine yeah. so I can tell personal stories in the vaccine yeah. that's chapter. amazing yeah. I think we need another book with like you know just these experiences like like fast pacing through the pandemic yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm i'm uh, i wouldn't say tired but um i mean i my, my in the last year or so i, I, I before you ask the question uh, maybe uh, wh like what book are you going to write next is 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 i don't know um, but but i've been reading a lot about history of art in the last couple of years Okay. And so I'm trying to weave something in the area of history of art with science and music and some combination of all of those things. Wow. That sounds interesting. It's a perfect science communication book, no? I think so. Yeah. I don't know. What yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll worry about it later. Right now. Uh, yeah. I'm just enjoying that this book is published. <laughs> yeah. And, and of course you should. I mean, it's, it's hard work. It's, it's, you know, coming down to just these few stories about your massive experiences and these personal stories about your friends in them, the COVID-19 vaccine, you work with the pioneers of uh, modern vaccine production. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a, a very interesting read. And, um, but, you know, I have to ask you, I mean, I know that this book is en masse. It's for everyone. But who did you, while writing it, aim it towards and who do you think will benefit most from reading it good question i think i my the, the book is primarily written with a with students in mind okay students of biotechnology students of um, any sciences or not not as science students mm -hmm. because what this what i've written about the book is is um, not just the science. I've written a lot of my personal learnings that I've learned. Like, for example, I've written, I've, I've written about a process of how to ask questions. I've written about a process of how to make decisions. I've written about a process of how to get do things quickly and fast. Mm. Uh, right? And so a lot of, lot, of, lot of soft skill things that I've learned over the years yeah. myself. Are yeah. we into the scientific stories? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not comparing it to you, but I think it's uh, it's really interesting that you've also written about how to ask questions because that's such a difficult thing. Uh, you know, they always tell us that, oh, no question is stupid, just ask. And, but there's a way of asking a question and you, we always have that apprehension that no, you know, it's like, um, 
अरे नहीं ये तो बेकार है कोई ऐसे सोचेगा वैसे स्पीकर सोचेगा ये क्या लोग बैठे हैं यहाँ पे exactly I'm sadistically not sadistically but but in a weird way I'm yeah. actually liking the fact that it is a little bit exclusive not easily available <laughs> Yeah Yeah <laughs> Yeah I mean there's there's a lot of buzz about this right so I don't know if um, everybody knows about this but every day that I open LinkedIn and then you know there's a, there are people uh, like cancer experts and you know god knows who all like who you have interviews with and like all of these big people talking about this book there's definitely like a lot of buzz it it feels like you know the next um, the next big book in uh, science i mean it's 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 more realistic like i i've also read a lot of robin cook's science fiction and then there's also uh, there are books you know my journey to the cure um uh, sort of books like uh, where this doctor talks about his battle with a very rare disease and this seems like uh, another aspect of those kind of you know not fiction and uh, not like you know some, not a textbook but on yeah. the journey but you know i i've been around uh, quite a bit and i really enjoy some some things like for example uh, there's one book um, this is some this is something that i struggled with my uh, uh, not struggle but i was telling my uh, editor a long time ago that you know i don't want to write more than a 100 pages book i want to book, write a book only on 100 pages because i myself don't feel like reading fat books <laughs> i don't expect anyone else to read fat books let me let me concisely tell the story in 100 books then you know the discussion no 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 you have to have at least 200 200 to 300 pages i said definitely not 300 i will not read 300 pages i'm sure there are a lot of people like me in in this day and age who don't want to read 300 page books so i wanted to keep it small um so so but the, but one of the most famous books in in the world uh is a 100 page book it is the it is what is life by owen schrodinger written in the 1920s it's only it's less than 100 pages but but it is one of the most famous books in the world i'm not comparing myself in any way to owen schrodinger but <laughs> i'm aware of his uh, uh, league but 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 the but the reality is that many books for example Uh, really find their life maybe many years later after certain things have happened so i'm not too worried about the book not selling or you know not, uh, people not knowing about the book and all that maybe maybe in the in a, a future generation you know will will fig, find something interesting in this book that touched them their um, their heart or you know the something some chord touches um and and that's okay and that that's what that's what i felt like doing at this stage in my career it it is sort of a documentation of my experiences now if if someone likes it great if nothing likes it if, if not if if not many people like it or don't don't really appreciate what what's written in it which is i'm not saying it in a negative tone it's a fantastic way and tell everybody to write a book because it not only tells other people what you've done it also tells you yourself what you've done mm-hmm. yes it 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 forces you to to tell yourself systematically the things that are in your head 
only when you only when you write do your thoughts become clear yeah. is what i've learned so write it for yourself don't even write it for anybody else yes absolutely that's really interesting uh, <laughs> thank you so much narin sir for giving us that insider look into the publication world i'm sure our discussion uh, has made our audience keen uh, to get their hands onto this scintillating piece of literature i sure am so yeah i would uh, ask uh, our audience to get this copy as soon as possible so yes. changing tracks now we have taken a look at your expressed achievements what we what we haven't yet interviewed is your philosophical mind we want to know your true unadulterated thoughts on certain issues that bagas we need advice with and sometimes that are rather left unsaid in your book and also in in our last uh, section you mentioned something about inflection points so when we were looking at that graph and you said these are the inflection points that help you determine success and failure what are these inflection points and can they be altered according to a person's need or are they always constant excellent point so inflection point is not something new i think this is something in in we learn in in uh, our bio in high school you know when we look at curves um, and the and the point of the curve where the curve the shape of the curve changes is the inflection point and so we we don't we don't think a lot about that that is probably a mathematical equation for an inflection point um in in statistics um but the way i've looked at it over the over the years um is 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 trying to find out things that can um that can help people myself first of all in in my own careers so the way i explored inflection point was um, when you look at a cell culture when you look at a cell culture and you're growing your cells in your tissue culture flask you have an x axis and a y axis and the cells are growing in a in a sigmoid curve right biological systems cells never grow linear in the long in, in the long they will always first take a little bit of time to grow but they then they start growing um and then they suddenly will stop growing right so the question is like what are the factors in a cell that allow the cell to go from you know sort of a flat almost flat line to suddenly going uh, changing the shape of that curve and and so to understand cell culture you need to say okay it is probably the media that that they have have good nutrients it is probably the cell passage number is low the genetics of the cell are really good um the the their cells are secreting growth factors and you know you can find many other factors like this which then ultimately allow the cell to grow yeah. right and exponentially exponentially all biological systems grow exponentially like that so if you now reflect on that and bring philosoph philosophical discussion in this space then you can say okay my career also can be like this mm. right so compared to the media and 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 the cell culture and the dna and everything else that is there in the cell what are the analogies of that in in uh, in uh, in your career growth it is the attitude the, what attitude you have how courageous you are what courageous things have you done um you know do you have a mentor uh yeah. is the environment that you are in 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 is that is that the right place for you to get best the best uh, out of you um is your supervisor good so there are some things in your control and something not in your control in your and all, when when all of these factors come together suddenly your career will will take off right um so those are, that's how i sort of look at inflection points and 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 because sir i'm, I'm 
uh, I've been studying or reading about these inflection points for, for, for many years. I take many analogies, right? So cell culture was one, your career was another. In, in, like I told you in the, in, the, in the gene therapy trial, the death of the clinical, the death of the patient in the clinical trial was the low point of that, uh, of that, uh, of that um, oh, clinical yeah. trial. The patient dying uh, is the lowest dot on that curve, right? Yes. But before the patient died, a lot of things may have happened, mm. right? yes. which could have been prevented. Right. Mm. For the patient not to so those are the inflection points that would have resulted in that low point in the career or when when you know you got you got approval of luxterna which is the eye gene therapy trial right mm -hmm. it, it, that is a high point in that career luxterna got approved but yeah. for that approval to happen something else would have had to happen so discovering things that lead to the the bottom of the pit or the top of the peak right discovering the things before that are uh, are in my mind sort of the factors of inflection points then usually not a single one yeah yeah i mean as you uh, also mentioned um, an inflection point could also be dependent on how a person is mentored and uh, that is something i think you take quite close to your heart because you're so active on social media and uh, you maintain that to guide uh, students to help people network um, uh, and uh, I mean, uh, I guess taking it a step further, you are on advisory boards um, of uh, several diseases as well as uh, on the COVID-19 action force in India. How do you find time to do all of this? Um, is there a time management trick that you have or a story that you can share? Well, uh, Charu, last time we spoke a little bit casually was um, about the and and what I've written also in the book is about a course that again I did. Yeah. Onto a course that you did. Um, the, it's like there's an app for that. There's a course for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Getting Things Done. It is a book by David Allen, and there's a company oh. called Calm Achievers which does uh, the training and it's a really excellent course. Uh, and it is a methodology of how to do things systematically. It's a lot of common sense, but applying it to your daily lives. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I read in Harvard Business Reviews recently, which was very, it, all of these things that I read are very apparent, but um, they, are, they become clear when you start thinking about them. So rather than time management, what, what they say is you should manage your energy, meaning um, do things that are most difficult when you have most energy, and yeah. do things that are, you know, that you can do easily when you have least energy. Mm. Uh, so I can give you a lot of examples of that. You can do the same. And so instead of having a time management sheet, have an energy management sheet, and then you, you you can get things done. Yeah. So kind of like a priority sheet, like, you know, yeah. what is something that really needs to get done? It's, it's uh, and will require most of your effort in a way. Yeah, yeah. And then find where you can retrieve that energy. And I think I was talking to um, somebody the other day and they were giving their nice analogy of a cell phone, right? So you yeah. have your phone and your the phone is always going out of charge, right? Mm -hmm. and you're always trying to preserve battery, right? Mm -hmm. you know, when 1% when, when battery is left, then you're not, that's not the time you're going to call some important <laughs> right? That's so true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> So, That's a so good one. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, obviously we need to have a priority list and everything. The other thing that uh, you, um, as I mentioned previously, you often do is something which has helped people network. 
and uh, you're quite involved in talking to people, in mentoring students, you know, helping them out, giving them general advice. As you said, you catch people and like, you know, you teach them whatever you can uh, quite often. And that's something which um, modern job search advice is uh, all about these days. You know, it's, it's no longer limited to applying and editing resume. Uh, networking has become this really big thing. And do you think, uh, what, what do you think um, effective networking is? And do you think that it really works in getting you uh, a job? Uh, you know, I think networking is important for, for careers. You know, I think for um, networking is important for many different things. I think now with the advent of all the social media, networking has become quite easy. You know, and also almost impersonal, right? I can be connected to you, but I don't know anything about you. I only know what you've written in your social media blogs or what you post and all of that, but I don't really know yeah. you, right? From a human perspective. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think ultimately networking has to be about the human touch. Human, yeah. By human touch, I mean um, the human interaction. So I, I, I could know who you are, Vikram, you know, based on looking at your CV that you're from here and you've done that. But, you know, right. when I find out that you're Maharashtrian and I can talk to you in Marathi mm -hmm. and you know, they take it that to that next level, so to speak, right? right? And suddenly we have a connection beyond just, you know, what our experiences are. Then we find something else and we find some common person that we both know. Then suddenly that, yeah. you know, it's like a node that creates another interaction. So you keep looking for these nodes, but this, that, you know, the bottom line for me is, curiosity a constant curiosity about different things is is such an important thing for everything that we do yeah yeah absolutely well i mean till now we've discussed a lot of your work and all work and no play makes jack a dull boy and you are no dull jack please <laughs> share your hobbies and uh because we know that there are many and do you think that they have helped you throughout the years to keep your stress levels low and also contribute towards positive mental health Absolutely. No question about that, that, you know, finding the right things that makes you happy all the time, you'll have to do you. I think it's an important thing for everyone to do for themselves. You'll have to, everyone has to figure out what makes them happy, where they can get their energy back, which is always draining. Right. So that's something that is um, that I find myself, you know, doing music and art and other things that I do uh, to gain that energy back that I lose when I, uh, when I'm doing, you know, high-end science-related discussion, read one, um, read one paper, or mm -hmm. um, you know, it's 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 very different. So, like uh, uh, my um, one of my uh, relatives, he is he's a, he's a person who who needs to concentrate when he has to read a book or he has to read a paper, or he has to read something. He can, he can sit there for four hours and read the paper and read what he has to read and concentrate for that four hours and get it out of the way. Four hours done, finished, done, and and you know that he's he's studied everything that needs to be done in that. For me, those four hours are split over four days. Yeah, I can't sit for four hours in one time. Hmm. You know, I need ten minutes, and then I need to play the flute. Then ten minutes, and I need to go for a walk. And ten minutes, and then, and then slowly those four hours will happen, but they happen over a period of four days. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. And yes. therefore, I can't do things last minute. I do need, and I am aware that I need, you know, four days to do four hours of work. Yeah. So then I start much earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it, it's so you would say um, hobbies are kind of like how you talked about energy management that you do like the most difficult, most tedious things for us, and then to retrieve all of that energy, get it back for like future tasks. You put in your hobbies as well, and so you would definitely recommend 
that no matter how like you're a phd student or you're a journalist or you're a fast food worker you need to have hobbies yeah 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 absolutely you know one and and you learn so many things from diverse people so i have a whole bunch of friends who are musicians mm. you know just because i play music right and yeah. one of one of the and you keep learning lessons so for example when i was in biocon and and i wanted to learn the flute um i had i um you know in biocon i had a ridiculously busy schedule right yeah. uh, so there was absolutely if I, even if i wanted time i couldn't i wouldn't have been able to find time to learn the flute but there was an opportunity what happened was my commute every day was one and a half hour each way okay and my driver used to drive the car and and, and, and he, he more than a friend he was he was he's a friend more than more than anything else so we we for i, I used to drive in a big car so i used to, i used to sit at the back right clear everything up put an ipad in the middle and have my flute class in the car while when going from indiranagar to in the one and a why you know i i not every day but mm. once or twice a week i would i would do that session in the in the in the in the car itself and the flute playing the flute in the car is not easy like not 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 yeah. easy physically because it's like constantly bumping against yeah. something the car is moving new bangalore roads out there always like up and down and up and down yeah. and so yeah. playing the flute with all this all this nuance right and then i i used to always try to give excuse to my teacher said it is become very uncomfortable i can't i let's let's stop the class early because you know it's finishing off he said no 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 play the flute in the most difficult conditions so that when you actually play in the in a good condition it will be very easy for you so if you can yeah. play the flute in a difficult place playing it in the easy place will be much easier so that's a lesson that i learned from while learning to play the flute in the car <laughs> 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 that's amazing uh, sir as you mentioned like uh, you love music you play flute you play a lot of different uh, instruments also so uh, we also know about your non-profit organization uh, the sangeet society uh, yeah, yeah. i've been following that on facebook uh, which kind of promotes indian classical music so uh, how exactly that started i mean uh, is it something like uh, what's the reason i mean why do you promote it well you know when i was in philadelphia um uh, what happened was there was this is sort of a funny story a little bit uh, in the sense it, it there was no awareness or anything about doing volunteerism and, and now i i tell everybody that you must volunteer you must do something to give back to society uh you know some in some way form or the other and so you, since you ask about sangeet society i'm going to tell you about that but it can apply to any any volunteerism that you do so a friend of mine and i were you used to love to go to hindustani classical music concerts when we were in philadelphia at that time so in the early 90s and and in order to see concerts the closest that we could go was either new york or washington dc two hour drives each way right yeah. and so yeah. we said why don't why don't people come to philadelphia to to perform right why don't yeah. these and it turns out that some somebody has to sponsor them to make to for them to come they just can't come right somebody has to invite them and do all of that so right. so we said why don't we do it ourselves right so we started doing it ourselves and my god it is so much work to 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 <laughs> to, to you know to to get in touch with an artist to make sure that the artist comes to the city you have to make sure that the person some you have to make the hotel arrangements or somebody has they have to live with someone you have to book a hall you have to get you have to do advertising you have to make flyers you have to make sure people right. come when people come they need food you have to collect tickets you have to do a budget you you have to you have to do taxes 
it's like a full time job full time right absolutely yeah i mean uh, it kind of gives like a whole management lesson right being like being a volunteer it teaches so many things so you absolutely hit the nail on the on the head vikram because when i was do, when i was at mark and we were doing all of this work i was a sort of in a junior level positions at mark right not yet in the senior leadership positions right but i was working like a ceo of a company while i was in simply in in um, in that uh, non profit organization so i was learning the art of management right yeah absolutely. unbeknownst to me actually i only understood that much later that time we just did it for the sake of doing it <laughs> yes yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so uh, sir we know you play flute you are a flute maestro so can we hear like a tune from us i'm <laughs> sure our listeners will be really happy to listen a tune yeah i'm i'm no maestro i'm just learning so but i but i enjoy playing the flute and and i i really um it, it's one of those things that i wish i had done many many years earlier but you know never it, it, what what do they say better now never too late never too late yeah never. yeah, yeah. <laughs> play a song uh, um i i i like the song very much it uh, it's a very difficult song to sing to play to Lata Mangeshkar has sung this song many years ago. Madan Mohan's music, "Lag Jagale." Uh, it is such a classic song, um, and it is sung so effortlessly. And many, many, many people have tried to reproduce it, and it's really difficult. So uh, I love it because I like the song. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> that's that's amazing that's <laughs> brilliant that was absolutely brilliant it absolutely calmed me down and i have to say that starting from today i'm going to learn playing a flute <laughs> please do please do narin <laughs> yes. your advice pertaining to inflection points successful life networking and most importantly that it is okay to have a hobby and in fact it is needed to maintain a healthy mind will be well taken i'm sure um it's truly great hearing all of this from you because it normalizes that we can do things other than science or work sorry to interrupt but i must be excited i must ask you some questions sir the catch is that they are rapid fire so you won't have any time to think 
simply blurt out what you think so we we just want to know the real narendra charmone shall we begin please please happy to okay so country you you'd rather live in india or the usa india <laughs> okay what was more fulfilling academic research or pharmaceutical industry oh my god uh, <laughs> academic research okay sir what is your favorite meal the uh, yeah you know uh, maharashtrian food maharashtrian like pitla bhat or pitla bhakri or something like <laughs> love it yeah <laughs> best work experience amgen mark or bio oh my god biocon by far <laughs> <laughs> would you rather be a full time immunologist or full time musician oh tough questions yeah <laughs> uh, immunologist actually yeah but you know highly influenced by the covid year <laughs> okay. i'm glad i'm an immunologist and, yeah <laughs> and which is your go to holiday de- destination Egypt was one of the most amazing vacations that we took. I mean, it is such a rich in history country. Um, that was probably one of the best vacations and best, best not vacations, but you know, like a we never generally. I don't. I generally we don't go to vacations where we sit on the beach and do nothing. My my vacations are always doing something like obsessive compulsive. <laughs> Uh, yeah, go, to, go to all these places like Peru and all that. So, uh, but yeah, Egypt was amazing. An instrument you would never get bored of: flute or tabla? Tabla. Flute. I think I get frustrated quite a bit because I'm still learning. So there are some things I just can't do. But tabla, I'm very very comfortable. So I've learned for many years. So I'm much more comfortable with tabla. And actually, what one thing that I've learned with tabla is I'm able to. play a lot of rhythm instruments and i'm able to do a lot many more things with tabla than i than i can it's not just tabla just many more things your preferred way of connecting virtual or in person no question in person <laughs> will you write a sequel to good genes fun bad probably not not now uh, because uh, i want to let let things absorb and 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 it's not like a i don't want to write seven more stories uh i want there to be something else other than just telling about the failures and i haven't figured that out yet okay that's understandable do you ever google yourself <laughs> don't do it when i linked in i don't google myself so much but linkedin yes it's strange how how so many people keep uh, liking what i post <laughs> <laughs> now the last question and you simply have to blurt it out no thinking okay your favorite out of us three me vikram or charu charu no question about it. she's like <laughs> amazing because first of all friends you haven't talked enough to give me your personality and uh, and vikram has been you know asking questions which are sort of interesting but charu like pushes the button <laughs> <laughs> thank 
thank you but i have to say like you know it uh, all of these questions that i was able to ask you was like brainstorming with all of us and um this rapid fire if you've enjoyed it is completely courtesy shreyansh yeah yeah very good <laughs> <laughs> i like the last one especially <laughs> okay so that's great you def- definitely did not hold back and thank you for your participation sir hey uh, so sir uh let me uh, like a final question from me uh what is your next venture uh, is there anything urgent which you think need to be addressed right away yeah yeah i think i think one of one of the things that i'm working on with various in various fronts it is i'm i'm working on many different things but one thing that i'm really excited about is i'm working with shulin university in in uh, in in himachal which is a small university which is doing really good work in in um, in ensuring this transition from high school to college you know i think we have a unbelievable opportunity in india to transform and the education process that happens in india you know india mein kya hota hai ki we are always bookish knowledge right we are always taught to give exams and it's everything about the exam now with the new education policy that has been you know put out by the government mm-hmm. uh, there is an amazing opportunity to transform the educational processes in india you know so so a high school student can study you know history and and you know quantum physics at the same time right which was never possible in the past Right. and uh, and and so in in um, with shulin university and atul khosla who is the chairman like visionary chairman over there uh, we are doing a program which is called the young researchers program what we do is uh, we go to various schools now today we are doing it virtually but we'll be doing it physically also we go to various schools and train teachers and schools in high schools on how to think innovate how not train but make them think about how to think innovatively like i do a small training about how to ask questions how to make decisions all the things that are there the soft skills that are there in the book right and then we ask schools to uh, the teachers after we've done a little bit of not training but more conversational things about how innovation can be started innovative thinking can be started we go to various schools and we tell schools children maybe right now 10th to 12th grade uh, to form teams of between 5 to 7 people 5 to 7 groups in a, in a small team and then make proposals of what you would what innovative idea do you would you have right let it just come and very interesting ideas are coming up we've had more than 100 150 ideas from a school and then we we pick five or six which then interestingly shulani funds to commercialization oh that's, that's nice yeah that's, that's kind of like helping people drop their inhibitions and yes. like you know yeah. anything that you can think of yeah 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 so very interesting ideas have come out of this yeah. very simple ideas nothing very complex but you know uh, and and the challenge is you know how do you select the top 10 out of 100 right so then yeah. i have all my friends and and all our my network to get involved in this social activity that we are doing for um bringing different ways to judge mm-hmm. uh, which which tend to select from right yeah. and then, so this to me was a very exciting project the kids are incredibly brilliant incredibly yeah. brilliant uh, and and so the the process that we are putting together on how to do this we're going to literally publish a paper on this uh, so that so that the process then can be replicated by anyone anywhere okay to to enable because we'll be limited by who we can how we can do our own thing right so if every school builds an innovative program like this in their school and allows children to you know 
do innovative things as part of their curriculum, then I think the ultimate innovation in the world in the future will happen in India better, right? It will, will be better. So that's something I'm very passionate about. And I spend quite a lot of time doing this, this kind of thinking with, uh, in, and then in, on, the, on the flip side, on this is meaning, this is on the, this is on the high school side, on the, on the medicine and the research side. Today in India, there's no university, no, zero university with an MD-PhD program. Yes. Right? So, so, so yes. fortunately, you know, um, for me, um, Madhuri Kanitkar, who's Lieutenant General Madhuri Kanitkar, who's yes. now the Vice Chairman of uh, the Maharashtra Maharaj University. Yeah. Universities, yeah. Uh, I've been talking to her and she is very passionate about doing, of clinicians doing research. Yes. So, uh, uh, and I, I've talked to her uh, and uh, we, we may we may do something in that space. So, so both at the high school end and at, at that other medical school end, that's the two ends that I'm very interested in in doing that. Plus, you know, from a company perspective, if you can make some money, that's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, much to ponder over. So you have given us so much of information, advices and ideas that could last a lifetime. Uh, although we could talk to you endlessly, uh, it is the time uh, to say goodbye. Uh, thank you very much for bearing it all. And uh, of course, for making time for us. It was an honor for all of us to speak with you. Uh, since this is a recorded event, uh, our audience will have some questions. Uh, is it okay? Uh, can they connect you on the LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way for me to connect with me at this time. Uh, okay, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we will have Narain sir's LinkedIn profile URL linked with this episode of Expert Engage for, our, uh, for all our listeners. Please do share your feedback with us on biopatrika.in at gmail.com. We now take your leave and hope we, you all will enjoy. Thank you. Thank you.